Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. You may be seated. Let us pray. Most merciful God, we give you thanks on this wonderful morning for the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, dear Lord, for Friday he has died for our sins, and now he has risen to proclaim us forgiven and set free. Lord God, we pray that this message would give us hope in this world and make us messengers of this hope so others would come to know the good news of salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, there was a debate on television uh, between two sort of premier scientists, I guess we could call them. One of them was a guy named uh, Ken Ham, and Ken Ham is a very popular creation scientist. He is the head of the Creation Institute, and so a very uh, well-known creation scientist. And he debated another guy by the name of Bill Nye. Does anybody here know who Bill Nye is? Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah, that's right. TV show, my kids know all these songs about Bill Nye. Uh, very, very popular scientist there. And they got together and debated uh, the Bible and science. Creation versus evolution. Uh, the reliability of the historical account versus uh, other scientific uh, ways of looking at the world. They debated all number of things. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I have not watched the whole debate. It's really long. However, a friend of mine uh, turned me on to one particular part of this debate that really stood out to me. And it was during the question and answer session. Somebody went to Ken Ham, the creation scientist and confessing Christian, and asked him, is there anything in the world that could get you to change your mind about the Bible? Is there anything in the world that could get you to change your mind about your position. And after hemming and hawing for a little bit, Ken Ham said these words, no, no, no one is ever going to convince me that the word of God is not true. Now that's, that's an interesting stance to take. And I have to say, I, I got a lot of respect for him to be so bold and to have such faith. It's very hard to find such convinced faith in our own world today. And so there's, there's a level of respect I have for that answer, but I thought to myself this morning, as we're all gathered here and we're talking about uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the truth that we're claiming today, that Jesus rose from the dead, let me ask you the same question this morning. Is there anything that could cause you to change your mind about the resurrection of Christ? Now maybe you are here this morning and you believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead in history. You are convinced that the word of God is true, that the Bible is God's word, and that we should believe what it says, and you are convinced that Jesus is alive. And so you are here today to celebrate the forgiveness of your sins and the life and the salvation that has been won for you through his death and resurrection. But let me ask you, is there anything out there that could get you to change your mind about it? Now, maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe. You don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. You think really the only reason we're here is because like 1,600 years ago, there was a really powerful uh, king named Constantine who made the whole of the Roman world Christian upon his conversion, and that sort of thing has stuck around for quite some time, and now we're still sort of dealing with that stuff. Uh, but this whole message of Jesus dying and rising, it's kind of just old mythology. Maybe that's where you stand. Well, let me ask you the same question. 
Is there anything out there that could get you to change your mind? Now, maybe you're here today, and you're kind of on the fence. You're not really sure where you stand. You're not sure what to think about this whole claim of Jesus' resurrection, because honestly, the last time you ever thought about anybody rising from the dead was when you were watching Walking Dead, and you're like, that show hasn't been good for four seasons. What are we talking about again? Like, maybe that's where you're at this morning. But what we want to say here today, regardless of where you are at, wherever you fall on this spectrum, the reality is you are not in any place new. But the question of whether or not we should believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, well, that question goes all the way back to the New Testament itself. And it was a question that the authors of the New Testament were not afraid to confront head on. You've got to understand, when you read the Bible, the authors of the Bible are not trying to get you to blindly believe whatever they say. Because the fact of the matter is that the people who wrote the Bible are people who had their minds changed. Something happened in their lives that caused them to change their mind about their view of Jesus. All of them who wrote the Bible at one point believed him to be dead and to be dead for good. And then something changed their mind. They claim to have seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead, and then they wrote this down for us so that you and I would come to believe the same thing. This is what you have in your New Testament. Eyewitness accounts of people who saw the risen Jesus wanting you to believe that he is risen. But what's interesting about this, as I just mentioned, they don't want you to take this sort of thing on blind faith. Like, we say it, you believe it, end of story. That's not really how it works. And as we come to the scriptures today, especially in our reading from 1 Corinthians, we encounter a guy who we call St. Paul. We call him St. Paul because that was his name. Uh, we call Paul. Uh, he wrote for us this book of 1 Corinthians. He's writing to a church in Corinth. And to that church, he wants to talk to them about Jesus rising from the dead. Now, you need to understand about Paul. He lived his life in a particular way. He lived against the church. He actually persecuted Christians for preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead until one day he saw Jesus risen from the dead. And Jesus changed his mind. But now, if we were to ask Paul, is there anything in this world that could cause you to change your mind against the resurrection? I think he would disagree with Ken Ham today. Ken Ham says, no, nothing out there could possibly ever change my mind. Paul, however, says there might be a very good reason to abandon this faith. There actually could be a very good reason to not believe the Bible. And that would be if we found Jesus dead somewhere. If Jesus is still dead, this whole thing is pointless. This is what he writes. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. This whole mourning, this whole faith, this whole life of forgiveness and this promise of eternity that we preach in this church, Paul is saying all of it is empty and pointless if Jesus is dead somewhere. For Paul says, if Christ is dead somewhere, we are of all people to be most pitied because we have been misrepresenting God. Further, not only have we been misrepresenting God, but we are still bound to our sins and we are still bound to the grave. If Jesus is dead somewhere, we live and we die. End of story. You are still in your sins. 
So for the authors of the New Testament, and for Paul, and for all of us, this question of whether or not Jesus is alive or dead is a rather big deal. And so they go to great lengths to demonstrate to us that Jesus did, in fact, rise. Think about this, the beautiful account we heard from the Gospel of Luke this morning. There in that Gospel, Luke tells us about women who went to the tomb to see Jesus' body. They went to embalm Jesus. These women had seen him crucified on Friday night, and now they were going to the tomb where they saw that he was buried so they might embalm the body. And notice this, they're going to the tomb not because they're expecting to have a dinner party with Jesus. They're expecting to show up and see his corpse. And so when they arrive at the tomb, they are floored by the fact that the body is not in the grave. And instead in the tomb, there are two angels. Last night we were talking about this with our kids. And my youngest one, Timmy, uh, we said, Timmy, was the grave empty? And he says, no. We think, oh no, we have a heretic on our hands. What's going on here? He goes, no, the tomb wasn't empty. There were angels in it, but not Jesus. And that was right, you see. Uh, uh, there were no Jesus in the grave, but the angels were there. And they spoke to them, saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And the women would have said, well, we, we thought he was dead. That's why we're looking for him here. Their mind was changed. And so they ran back to tell the disciples that they had seen these angels. And on the way, what happens? They bump into Jesus. They see the Lord. And this changes their minds. So they run back and they tell the disciples of exactly what they saw. And when they saw, uh, they told the disciples this, the disciples were far from convinced. In fact, Luke says it this way, that they believed the women to be telling idle tales. They believed them to be telling myths, falsehoods. And they probably came up with any number of reasons why they had come up with this falsehood. Perhaps they were believing old mythology. Perhaps they were, you know, in hysterics. Perhaps they bumped into the gardener and they sort of projected their wishful thinking on the gardener, saying that must have been Jesus. There was any number of explanations they could have come up with. But you've got to kind of figure that the disciples at this point are very confused by everything that is going on. They've been with Jesus for a long time, and they were really hoping he was going to be someone powerful and someone impressive. They were really hoping he was going to bring glory back to Israel, and now he's dead. And so now all of his teaching to them probably seems somewhat empty and void. Jesus had been teaching that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and he had said very explicitly multiple times, I will die, and three days later, I will rise. Well, now, when they saw him dead, they were trying to figure out what to do with those words. They certainly didn't believe he was alive. So maybe they were thinking something like this. What do we do with these teachings of Jesus? Maybe now, Jesus was just teaching us how to overcome the difficulties in this life. Maybe Jesus was saying, like, we need to die to an old sinful way of living and really work hard to make a beautiful world for us, for ourselves. So maybe what we need to do is just love each other more. Yeah, that's what Jesus meant by death and resurrection, that we should die to hate and live to love. And love will change the world. Maybe that's what Jesus was getting at. I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday in the New York Times, there was an interview with the president of Union Theological Seminary, which I believe is in New York somewhere. And the interviewer asked this uh, president of this theological seminary if she believed in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And she said, well, no. I believe, actually, uh, that Easter is really about how love can conquer life and death. 
I think people are far too hung up on this idea of a physical resurrection. What Jesus was really teaching us is that love is more powerful than life and death. And that is a beautiful and wonderful sentiment, I'm sure. Except that if Jesus is dead in the grave, it's not true. Love isn't more powerful than death because Jesus is still dead. And that's not the point of Easter. And yet the apostles are probably sort of at this point believing these, not believing these idle tales in the same position as that theological uh, professor. Saying, listen, what do we do with all these teachings of Jesus if, if he's dead in the grave? Well, we've got to make something out of this. We've got to do something. Maybe we'll turn these into inspirational stories. The trouble with all of that is simply this. It's not very inspiring if you still end up in the grave. And if all the women were doing was telling idle tales, Jesus is still crucified and buried and dead and in a frightening way. And everything we have around us is utterly hopeless. All we have from Jesus is self-help and inspirational tools for living and encouragement to be more loving and kind. We still end up dead. And that is hopeless. And you are still in your sins. But now, this is certainly not how things end. This is not how things will end for the disciples listening to what they believe are idle tales. And this is certainly not how things are going to end for you. For you see, the good news of Easter is this, is that Jesus was not just some sort of rabbinical Gandhi telling us that we need to love each other more and be more kind to each other. As, as, before I make fun of that too much, we actually really do need to do that in our world right now. We really do need to love each other more, and we do need to be more kind to one another. But that's not all Jesus came to say. No, he came to do far more than that. He came to stop death in its tracks. He came to stop death from having the last word. He came to walk out of the grave. When Jesus spoke about his dying and his rising, he wasn't using metaphorical or mythical language. He was making a promise of what he was going to do that Easter morning, that he was going to conquer death. This is why Paul's letter to the Corinthians is so remarkable when he says this, if Jesus is still dead somewhere, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, in fact, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he is risen from the dead, we now have actual hope in this world. And it was this resurrection of Jesus that changed the minds of the women who went to the grave. They expected to find a corpse, and instead they encountered the risen Christ. It changed the mind of the disciples who thought the women were telling idle tales, and then they saw Jesus. And they wanted to change your mind as well, because they also wrote these things down for you so that you might believe that Jesus is risen for you. You need to understand, when you come to those things that they wrote, that is the Gospels specifically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you haven't read them, I encourage you to read them. As you read those books, what you have there is not some sort of religious mythology, but you have eyewitness testimonies of what they actually saw. You have the people who were with Jesus after his resurrection writing down for you what it is they encountered. And they want you to be convinced that they actually saw Jesus risen. Jesus wants you to be convinced that he's alive. That's why when he appeared to them, he showed them the scars in his hands and his side, and he said, touch these things. 
and see that I am risen. He appeared to them. He touched them. He spoke to them. And just so that they knew he was truly alive, he ate food with them. He cooked them breakfast, probably a little better than the breakfast we had today because it's the risen Jesus. But I'm sure breakfast today is great. Don't get me wrong. But even when we have breakfast today, we're still thinking about the risen Christ. Like he's just, he's just everywhere. It's wonderful. He did all of this. To show them that he was risen, but not just to make a factual statement that, by the way, I rose in the past at one time, but to give you a fact that is full of more hope than any other fact you could possibly hope for or imagine. This is the most hopeful fact in the history of the world, that Jesus who died rose again. He rose again and he appeared to those disciples who had abandoned him. He appeared to those disciples who had uh, sinned against him and didn't believe his word. And he appeared to them and said, I forgive you. Peace be with you. He forgave their sins, and then he told them, from now on, this message of forgiveness and mercy and resurrection needs to break out from you and go forth into all the world. And if our world needs anything right now, it's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of hope. It's a message of mercy. It's a message of resurrection. Because you know as well as I do that our world is a disaster. Our country is utterly divided over seemingly everything right now. We are divided over racism, we're divided over sexism, we're divided over whether or not we should kill babies in the womb. I mean, we are divided over everything. There is terror taking place around the world. Even this morning I heard of brothers and sisters gathering in Sri Lanka to worship the risen Christ, and now in that church there was a bombing that took place, and 163 people died. Kidding me. I mean, things are falling apart. Sin is running rampant in this world, and we experience the falling apartness of this world even in our own lives. Whether we're dealing with a disease of one form or another, we're dealing with death in our own lives, and certainly this, we are dealing with our own sin. Yeah, we see the big, massive sins around us, but you and I also know that in our own lives there are sins taking place. We sin against others, we sin against ourselves, and we sin against God. And sinning against God is really the big problem because God is our source of life. God is the one who gives life. And to sin against God is therefore to cut yourself off from the source of life. That's why the wages or the result or the consequence of sin is death. Because we in our sinfulness have cut ourselves off from the source of life. That's why you deserve death and so do I. But Jesus, who is God in flesh, simply will not have it. And that's why he went to the cross, so that he might die for you, so that he might go into the grave and close the doors to the grave forever. He came to die on the cross so that those sins that cut you off from God would be forgiven and removed. The record of debt that stood against you was canceled by Jesus Christ on Good Friday when he died in your place. And then on Easter morning, he rose again to tell you that news. He rose again to tell you that death no longer holds sway over you because your sins are forgiven and death for you is now temporary. God has promised to raise you from death and to give you forgiveness and hope and everlasting life in his joyful presence forever where there will be no more sin or terror or sickness or cancer or death or any of it. All of it will be gone and you will live with Jesus and sing and dance forever. Because, in fact, Christ is raised from the dead for you. 
Is there something in this world that could get us to change our faith in this promise? Is there something that could remove this hope from us? Yeah. It's if somebody walked in here today with the bones of Jesus. But they won't. For those women did not tell idle tales. They spoke true facts about the risen Jesus. True facts that I am pleased and delighted and exhilarated to announce to you this morning. Jesus Christ is risen for you. You are forgiven. You are not bound to your sin. You are not bound to the grave. For your hope is secure truly risen Jesus. He is risen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the mercy you have showered upon us through your risen Son. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts to believe this truth more and more surely. Give us, Lord, the conviction and the promise that we are forgiven and that eternal life is ours through Jesus. Grant us grace always to trust your word and keep us faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please rise as we continue.